Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. Venue Church. Did you miss, did you miss me? No, there's something different about, about me. Girls, I'm just going to give this. It's going to be a freebie to you girls because you don't notice little things like this. But got my head shaved. We had an after-after party in my house, and, and we had some of the orange personality type. If you come to NXT, you'll find out about what personality type you are because if you don't know how God made you, you'll never find out where you fit in this world. And so oranges are... We, we got talking to each other, and we always like daring each other to do s- stuff, and that's what happened. Somebody asked me, like, are you shaving this for charity? I'm like, no, unless you want to give me money. It will feed hungry children. Their names are Arwen, Alish, Katie, and Neela. Welcome to Humble Beast. You all ready? Oh, Humble Beast. In a sermon I've entitled, if you're taking notes, Room for One. Room for One. Humble Beast. Here is my opening statement, my opening thought, which will kind of continue through this, this series here. I think I'll do about three of these. Um, my opening statement is this. We all secretly think we're humble, but we're not. So turn to the person beside you and say, you think you're humble. Do it. I'll come down there. But, but you're probably not. We, we think, we all think that we're humble, but we're not. We're all kind of wrong about this thing. So as I'm preaching about pride and humility, I'm preaching to everybody and I'm preaching to myself. Pride and humility, Canadian culture, what we grew up thinking, how we are with each other. We all secretly think that we're humble, but we're not. Here is uh, the life and times of a person called Moses in the Bible. Moses, who freed the children of Israel from Egypt. We're just going to kind of hit bits of his story because I could preach about Moses all, all year. But Moses, here's a scripture verse that I'm going to kind of, I might preach as we kind of get rolling in here. I've got some more scripture to give you the background of the time that Moses came in. See, you always tell yourself, I'll change when my circumstance clears up and I have enough sleep and my husband loves me the way he should and I make as much money as I ought to and then I'll change. That's not the life and times of Moses, and that's not what he was born into. In Numbers chapter 12, it says this, While they were at Hazaroth, Miriam and Aaron, uh, Moses' older brother and sister, criticized Moses because he had married a, a Cushite woman or an Ethiopian woman. There's a whole lot I could say about that, but at the time, they might have been right kind of at the time. It's not because God's a racist. It's, you'll notice that God made all the races. Jesus died for all the races, every color of skin. Rich, poor, bald, haired. Anyways, what that, that's not as important as the rest of this here. There's one verse I want to pull out. Not yet, but they said, Miriam and Aaron said of Moses, has God spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. Okay, just stop in there. What they said was true because she was a prophetess and he was the priest of Israel. And in the family, they actually had the authority because they were older. So at family reunions, Moses would be like, you want me to do the dishes? I want to, I'll do the dishes. You want me to, what am I bringing to the, and and they would, that's how the family kind of works. The older siblings in our home have more authority than the younger siblings. That's why we say, listen, take an older sister with you, Neela, crossing the road. Am I the only one here with kids? Shoot. I thought that was a thing. All right. But it says this, but the Lord heard them. So what they said was technically kind of maybe true at the time, but 
has God only spoken through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? That was kind of true. Like he did speak to them. But then it says this, but the Lord uh, heard them. So this in, in my home growing up would, would sound like, but dad slowly turned his gaze on you when you said that thing. And from across the room, you saw his, his eye twitch a little. You can back up now if you want. You want to rethink what you think? You want to, but the Lord heard them. And now for the verse that this whole series is based around. Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. Can you imagine somebody saying that about you? Now, or about me, what would be the equivalent to my life? You know, now Corey was, um, you know, the most patient man on the earth. I would love that if you would say that about me. I'm not the most patient person in my house. I'm, I'm not more patient than any person in my house. <laughs> Let alone my block and my... Now, Moses was very humble, more humble than any person on earth. Now, here's where I'm going to kind of punch you in the stomach a little bit here with Canadian society because we don't understand humility. So I looked up all the definitions, but they didn't really work for me because I think we got a kind of a societal sort of problem here. Now Moses was more was very humble, more humble than any person on the face of the earth. He he was the most humble. He was the most humble. Now now, if I re, if I tell you the background of that, and you're totally cool with that, you might actually be humble. But you won't be cool with it because I'm not super cool with it. Now if if you're new, you're you're a new believer. You don't really understand how how the Bible was written. Um, the Holy Spirit would whisper in the ears of the men of old, and they would write what they heard. Do you want to know who the author of this was? The first five books of the Bible are called the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This is in the book of Numbers. Moses recorded this. You still humble? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Moses wrote that Moses was very humble and the most humble man on the face of the earth. Now the reason you don't get it and the reason I don't get it is because we don't understand what humility looks like. We live in an image-based society that, that humble does not mean what God thinks of me because that was true. That was the truth. He wrote the truth about himself at the time. The Holy Spirit, you write that and you lead like several million people, do you think that's going to be a popular thing? No, I'm the most humble man on the face of earth. No, because here's the thing, because Moses didn't care what people thought, he cared about what God thought, and if God said it was true, then Moses was going to write it, and that was humility, even when it was true about himself. Now, you and I live in such a society of, of image that, here's, here's the trick, we would much rather, and when we have to choose between being humble and appearing humble to you, we'll always pick the appearing humble to you piece, which means we downplay sometimes the things that we're good at. Now, if you're just bragging up all the time, like, it needs to stop because you won't have any friends. But, but here's the thing. We downplay it, and we want to look humble to you. It's the same thing, moms, as wanting to look like a good mom in the neighborhood, but not actually spend your time being a good mom. To look like a good husband and a good provider, but you're missing, like, some main questions here. To look, here's another thing, to look generous when you're not actually generous. And this is the difference, and the, the sermon is going to go right down the middle of this and actually find out what is, what is humility then. Now, how do I know if I'm, if I'm humble? Well, if that makes sense to you, you might be. But it didn't make sense to you because it makes no sense to me. So we've got some pride issues and we've got some things to work on. So, so here's what pride will do in your life. Pride makes you a slave of the father 
of pride. Pride is always looking up to reach up and to pull yourself up, up, up. But see, if you go up, that comes from God, doesn't it? And so, um, so the devil looked at God, and it wasn't enough that he was really high in heaven. It wasn't, that wasn't never going to be enough for him. And so he said, I'll be like God. And then he got kicked out of heaven because God is God. And he says to Adam and Eve, which got us into all the bother that we're in right now, like, did God really say? And no, actually, you could. What he's saying is like, you could be like God. But what he really said was you could be God and you could decide what was morally right for you. And every disease and every sin and every victim that suffered came from that decision that they made. Pride, man. Pride takes no prisoners. Now, here's the other thing about God is that God is the highest and always will be the highest. But he's not proud. And if he says, I'm the highest and worthy of all praise and all honor, and even Jesus said, at the end of all time, I'm just going to take all the praise that comes to me and just turn around and give it to the Father, which is your job on this earth, too, to take all the praise and give it to Jesus. And when that happens, God is the highest, and yet he's incredibly humble. Why would he come down and send Jesus to die for your sins? You want to talk about humility? He was born in a stable. He didn't need to do that. I mean, the best the earth had to offer was nothing from what he left. Humility, humility. But pride is a vampire. If you only remember one thing, pride cannot see itself in the mirror. Now, this is what we do. I'm going to hurt you a little bit more, and then it's going to get better. So turn to your neighbor and just be like, it's for your own good. See, pride's a vampire. It never sees itself in the mirror. In fact, if you're proud, you'll say of people that they're proud. You'll spot it in somebody else way quicker than... You know what control freaks say? That person's a control freak. If you said that this last week, I got news, sweetheart. It's you. You will tolerate no sins in somebody else that, like, you'll tolerate it in yourself, but you'll look at them and you'll see it in them. Why? Because it's in you. So pride is easy to see in other people because it's our sin. It is the sin that hurts the most. It is, here's what pride will do. Patterns in your life. You keep going back to the same stupid way of thinking and same sins and same people. Pride, patterns, patterns, patterns. Why? Because you think that you can do the same thing you did last time and you will be the exception. Why? Because you secretly want to be God. You want to make up the rules as you go along to have fun, but that's not how the world works. Sin always brings death. Every single time it brings death. Just give it time. It's a vampire. It sucks the life out of people around you. If people feel good around you because you're always pushing them up and like, hey, you did a great job. and Hey, I love that thing that you did. If you're always constantly obsessed about yourself and hey, how did I do about this? And hey, how did I do? I'm going to talk about insecurity in a minute too. Hey, how did I? Did you know that insecurity might be a sin? Ooh. Well, you wait for it. You can't make me preach that now. Pride will make you uncorrectable. Pride always has to be right. Now here's a free one for all the men out there. Guys, you can be right and still be sleeping on the couch. Yeah, everything you said was true. Why don't you go sit that little butt down on the couch and sleep down there for a night? You can sleep down there tomorrow night, too, if you want. You're going to be like that. 
Mama not happy, nobody happy. And here's something that pride will do as well. I was out walking and praying, and I was praying for some of you by name, and that's what I do. I'm a professional Christian. (laughs) Professional Christian. (laughs) No, the church pays my salary. Uh, While you're out working, I pray for you. And I love you, and I'm preparing this for you. And I was out uh, walking and praying and praying about this sermon in particular. And I'm always looking for like something to preach and funny little stories. And so I saw a guy pull out in front of me on the walking path. And the walking path is sloped a little bit. And then right beside the walking path is a like kind of a drop-off hill right there where, where I walk in, in Airdrie. And I saw a man stop his carriage crossways to the path. And all I looked at, I saw him look, I, I looked up and I saw that he must have been reaching over to put um, some trash in, in the receptacle there. And then I looked up at the time that he realized that his baby carriage was sliding off the hill and caught it just in time. Now, it's not, not really the man's fault, because we can only do one thing at a time. And that, like, the, that's a huge deal to us, like, let's put in the thing. <gasps> baby! <laughs> oh my goodness, this baby! <laughs> I totally forgot about the baby, like, oh my goodness. And so... Um, But here's what pride will do. Here's what pride will do. You'll be patting yourself on the back one moment, walk into a complete disaster that you made all by your pretty little self the next moment, and within a millisecond, you'll be patting yourself on the back again. Like that. It will catch you like that. And it wasn't me. I didn't drop the baby down the hill. I lost a child in Ikea, but they are well-staffed there. She came back. Hey, we... We had three more, so it's okay. <laughs> That's how venue churches. Maybe you'll find that out in NXT if you come to NXT and find out what we're all about here. But we're a church for church people, but also it's the unchurched person too. That we're we're like a parents who lost their kid at the mall. We just can't like, hey, you're good, you're good, okay, awesome. We'll see you at small group. But hey, there's this other person. We lost a kid at the mall. <laughs> like we're still like missing. We're missing somebody who's not part of the family. That the adoption's already been signed, but they just don't know. And so we just gotta, you know, we're kind of crazy like that. But we never think like, hey, you know, it's good. We got three more kids. We're fine. No, we're, we're a little crazy like that. But here's humility, and here's a working definition of humility that I want you to, to write down if you take notes. And understand this. As you move into your family circle and your friendship circle, and, and kids, you're looking at your mom and your dad and wishing that you were in charge because you're so much smarter than they are. And you, you're in the classroom, and you're at work. Here is humility and a working definition of this that I think will help you a little more than our, our image definition of it that I don't think really works, but it's, it's this here. Humility is just knowing your place in it all. Where you fit in? Who gets to do what to who? Oh, this is my, oh, this is, this is my responsibility? This is under, okay. Oh, I get to make decisions here. Okay, this here, this is above me on the chain? Oh, I don't. Suggestions? Directives? My suggestion. They didn't take my suggestion. That's because you're not in charge. You'll notice that if you're ever the boss of something, things look a little different up there. Well, they're wrong. You can still sleep on the couch. Did you want a paycheck? (laughs) I used to say that. Some of the young guys would come and they're like, well, the boss doesn't know what he's doing. I'm like, you know what? That's kind of true sometimes. But the other side of that is, did you want a paycheck or not? That's how it works around here. So I might be in charge here, but I'm not in charge here, and I want a paycheck. And maybe he had to do something and make a deal that I didn't know about. But directives, suggestions. Knowing your place in it all, in the family. Knowing who does, here here are marriage couples, knowing like, so who does the books and who does this? Knowing your place in it all. You know what you'll, you'll struggle with? 
control and trying to control the other person to do everything the way that you do it. But the trouble is God gave you that other person because you're not perfect. And all of your blind spots, you might never get good at because you have strengths in the same areas. And so God puts you together with somebody oftentimes who fills the gaps, but you actually have to trust them to be like, okay, you do this thing. Actually, you're better than my default in this situation is terrible. Well, you deal with this situation. So, so here is what it's like. Now think about your situation that you're struggling with most in your life right now. I'll tell you where the struggle is. It's not really between you and people. Have you ever played musical chairs? Three people have played musical chairs. The rest of y'all grew up playing video games. So musical chairs. So, so if you have 10 people and you have nine chairs, you have to have one less chair than people. And so what you do is you put, put on like creepy uh, clown music or something. And then you, everybody walks around the chairs. It was always like clown music when I was a kid. It always kind of freaked me out. And the urgency of it, it just gets like louder and faster, 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 faster. And so you just like, you're walking around the chair. And when you're coming around the front of the chair here, it's not bad, right? You're just like, ooh, move super slow. Like, oh, yeah, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good. Manic, manic, manic. And then you come around the front of the chair. And so, no, we're slow, we're slow, we're slow. And so, but here's, <laughs> here's the problem. There's only one chair in your life. And it's way too big for your tiny butt. And it only fits God. And you're panicking and walking around. Then every now and again, you hoist your tiny little self up on your chair. But then it feels kind of empty up there. But see, God doesn't really panic. And the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And he's never going to overtake your will. You decide whether you want a relationship. He's already decided. You want to be free of your sin? He's already decided. It's all on you. So you, you want it or not? Like, kind of a no-brainer here. But, <laughs> but the trouble is, Jesus has to be Lord of all, or maybe he's not Lord at all. So that's when the learning, you get salvation is free, but everything else is not free. Everything else is going to cost you. You want to get sanctified, that's like getting your life cleaned out. You're going to have to work for it. Freedom session, you're going to have to work for it. You're going to feel like leaving every single week, but you're not going to do it. Because I'm going to call you and be like, what's up? Get back in freedom session. Get your little butt back in the freedom. Listen. So what happens is we sit our tiny little selves up in the chair, but the chair is like 50 times bigger than I am. And I'm sitting here like, it only fits God. Then I get all worried because I'm all by myself. This is why your financial situation is all screwed up. This is why your sex life is all screwed up. You get lonely. You pull somebody else up here. You pull somebody else, then you get married. You think that'll solve everything. Did marriage solve everything? Did it solve anything? Oh, huh. And then we're like, oh, you know what? We'll fix all the problems. We'll have kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what was it like having four kids? It was amazing. It's like we had three kids and we were drowning and somebody threw us a baby. <laughs> Solved everything. And then what happens is you have kids and then you start adding like hockey and then you add dance because the chair is quite big and there's all these things that you got to put in there and cram in and they... Then you add a career, and then you add you know, multiple careers, and then you add all of these things in the chair, and then all of a sudden, some things on the chair start pushing other things out of the chair, and your boss is up here too, because you know, I guess you've got to go someplace, and the people that work with you, and everybody's up on this chair in your life, and you're just like, humility could take the struggle out of all of it. Because it's only sized for one person, and that person is God. And if God sits in the middle, all the power struggle goes away. Do you know what Paul said to the Galatians? He goes, do you know why you fight? You want to know why you fight? Because you're not getting what you want. So somebody tell Pastor Aaron in the the middle of the next argument, just be like, just tell her, stop 
and say, I'm mad at you, Pastor Corey, because I'm not getting what I want. Oh, that was funny a second ago. Now, girls, why do you got to be on Pastor Aaron's team? It's not just you, it's everybody. Security. You know, hunting packs against me? I don't need you. I got Jesus. He's on my chair. I don't need to be insecure. So we always want a perfect situation to fix all of our problems, but do you know that never actually happens? Maybe you haven't figured that out yet. It doesn't happen. It happens under stress. It happens under duress. You want to hear where it started for Moses? Because the children of Israel needed a a savior, needed a help, needed somebody to rescue them from from the bondage in Egypt. And this is what sin is going to do in your life and the lives of the people around you. And God is desperate to sit at the center of your life so that he can start freeing the people around you from sin. And so this is where it starts in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 6. In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died. Now, Joseph had come and brought a very small nation of Israel, 70-some people, I think, in to Egypt. And then God saved Egypt because of Joseph. Joseph had a dream, do you remember? And And then there was a time of famine and they stored ahead of time and God saved the nation of, of Israel and Pharaoh back then was actually quite smart. He's like, Joseph, come up on my chariot. I got room for you. You can be number two because God is with you. You want your business to do well? Hire a fired up Christ follower. It'll follow you. In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, new king came to power in Egypt, who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. I think this is probably one of the reasons why a generation leaves church sometimes, because fathers and mothers forget to tell their kids, hey, there was a time that we had nothing. You never experienced that. You had everything. We had nothing. We were lost in our sin, and we had nothing. And we were high. We were messed up. We forget to tell our kids that because we don't want to think about it. <laughs> they forgot what Joseph had done. He said to his people, verse 9, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we. We, are. we must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. So the devil has a plan in your life. So do a lot of people and so does God. He says, if we don't and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. Now, that wasn't in their heart because they had it pretty good, I think. But that was in his heart. And so you always see what's in your heart and somebody else. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed, listen, this is what sin will do. Brutal slave drivers over them. Look, the first one is free in sin, but everything else is going to hurt. Hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses and as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, which is what the devil wants for you, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in their demands. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. So this is the end play that the devil has for you. To destroy your sons and your daughters, but in this case it was the sons. So make no mistake about it. The devil will let you off the hook a little bit if you'll go back to him. But then the cycle just starts over again and he wants to hurt you. Yeah. And then he says the, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But then Jesus says, I come that they, you might have life and have it more abundantly. Yeah. It's just that more abundant life takes a bit of process and discipline and investment. Sin takes no investment and it's super fun. 
now. But tomorrow there's hell to pay. And see, and then the story happens that Moses is born in this time to the Israelites. And so his mom and dad realize this, this is a special child. Do you ever feel that way about your children? This is a special child. And uh, sometimes you want to give them away, but most of the time you're like, this is a special child. <laughs> and they hid him away for three months, and then they made a little boat, and they pushed him down the river, and one of Pharaoh's daughters picked up Moses and adopted Moses. And so now Moses is an Israelite living in the court of Pharaoh. Now, he, he grew up having everything. Sometimes when you grow up having everything, uh, you get proud. So Moses is in this state proud, and yet he's trying to identify with his people. So he's like, we are sometimes, when God is not sitting in the middle, he's like, hey, I need to save my people, but I don't really know God yet. And so you're trying to do good work in the earth, but you, God is not sitting in the middle. And so this is what happened many years later when Moses had grown up in Exodus 2. He went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. Now you're sitting here and somebody's thinking like, Jesus would never accept me. Try him. I think that's just an excuse. You reject rejected by people. You've never been rejected by God. Right? But we don't understand this part about God. Can I preach this just, just for a minute? Here's the deal. God loves unconditionally, but he doesn't accept sin. And when we ask him to accept sin, we're asking him to become somebody who he's not. And shouldn't be. Oh my goodness, if God accepted sin, like there's no salvation for mankind. And so light and dark don't mix with each other. And so what we do is we, we try to blend that in in our lives and we say, okay, I want you to love me unconditionally. But what we really mean is I want you to accept me as immature and childish and full of hate and anger and rage as I am right now. Accept yeah. me addicted. Accept me messed up. Accept me just like this right now. My dad did not accept that in our home. So he loved me unconditional, meaning I could do anything I wanted to do and he would still love me. But acceptance is a different thing. You actually have to earn respect. Maybe this is new news here. And so, so Moses messed up. The next day, uh, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who had started the fight. Now, Moses is thinking like, hey, I'm on your team. Like, the man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? I'm going to talk more about slaves and slave mentality. Did you know that you can be a slave and be really, really proud? Oh, you don't think so? Come back next week. We'll see. Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened. He tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. 23, years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And look, this is a, a word to somebody today. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. You say to yourself, God doesn't see my situation. No, he sees your situation. He is in there in the middle of it. You'll look back years from now and you'll see that he was in there suffering with you. But now it's time to act. Now it's time that this has built up, this injustice. And now it's time that God is saying, I'm going to save them. And so what happened next is, is, you may have heard this if you grew up in Sunday school, the, the whole burning bush thing. And um, 
See, God calls Moses to do something, and God calls you to do something that, that is a huge deal. And he says to Moses, you're going to go and you're going to free the children of Israel, and you're going to speak to Pharaoh, and you're going to speak to the children of Israel. And I'm going to take it in, in a weird passage here right now, but like he called you to do something, that thing in the world that bothers you so much that you just can't stand it anymore, that injustice that God called you to fix in some small way in this world, and he calls you to do it. And he called Moses to do this. And he gave Moses this huge call and this huge call. But Moses comes back into this other place. See, Moses has had time now to find humility. He's been working as a shepherd for years and years and years. He got married. He started having kids. And he's been a nobody now. He grew up in Pharaoh's court and he's been a nobody. Sometimes being a nobody is good because you can't get too proud about being a nobody. And so he's found a bit of humility here. Because later on he writes, like while he's leading Israel, that he's the most humble man on the face of the earth. But what he is right now is extremely insecure. And a proud and insecure person you really have to be careful of because you will always avoid the very people that could help you. Pride and insecurity. Pride and insecurity. You can be proud and insecure at the same time. In Exodus chapter 4, it says in verse 10, I'm going to take you into this weird little place here where Moses had to settle something inside of himself says, Moses pleaded with the Lord after the Lord had told him all the promises that he was going to do. Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. Am I getting a keyboard player up here? Is that what's happening? All right. Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. God, I... He's stuttering. No. He always assumed that if God, he had a speech impediment or something like that, it, it just, it was this thing. And God just told him, you're going to speak to this person, and you're going to speak to Pharaoh, and you're going to speak, and you're going to speak, and you're going to speak, and you're going to speak. And he's like, and then he tried his next one, like, okay, go, go, go. God, I, and he still had the stutter or whatever it was. He still had it after God called him. And he's thinking to himself, okay, God, but I thought that when you called me, you would take this away. I thought that when you called me, you'd fix this thing first. But the best leaders that I know lead out of a chaos. Because look, you don't, if there's no chaos, you don't need a leader. If everything's working, you don't need a leader. But here's the thing. Sometimes the best leaders that I know lead with a limp. They lead in pain. They preach with headaches, with their ears ringing sometimes. They lead in the business place and they serve other people while they're still hurting. Because the call of God will come anyways. And sometimes that's the path to humility is knowing deep down inside that if anything happens here that's good, it wasn't you. It was God. Now you have to work it like it's up to you, but then you pray like it's up to God because if you're trying to change the hearts of people around you, newsflash, you can't. And if anything shifts and changes in the world, it's because God is good and because God has called people to do it. And God has called the church to do it. And God has called you to do something that nobody else can do in your circle. And so what happens is, Moses is like, but I'm still stuttering, God. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? What do you mean? You wouldn't make me this way. Hmm. Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Isn't it I, the Lord? 
Now go, he says, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, which some of you have said, even this week, Lord, please send, then he says, anyone else. See, this is the place where Moses is not just unable, now he's unwilling to. He's still battling a bit of pride and insecurity here because he might be the leader of Israel and he might go and, and this all might happen, but he's still going to look like an idiot in the middle of it all because he can't speak the way that he wants to speak and he's, his life is not the way that it wants to be. It's not totally sorted out yet. And so he goes and, and watch God's reaction to this. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? Like, so he brings Aaron into the picture. But the whole point was God got angry with Moses because Moses wouldn't do what God had called him to that God never expected Moses to do in his own strength anyways. He expected himself to come and do. Moses was just the mouthpiece. And isn't that the way in your life? How do you think insecurity sounds to God when Moses is talking? How do you think insecurity when God had told you to go talk to somebody? God told you, hey, you need to tell somebody about that sin that you covered up because I can't heal you until you tell somebody. I can forgive you, but I can't heal you. That's in the Bible. Check, check me out. But then what happens is, how do you think God feels about it when you're like, I can't. No, slash, I won't. I won't. I won't do it. I can't. I, I won't. I Pride and insecurity. God is like, I'm... I have, look, if you're not a Christ follower, you can become a Christ follower in the care room. Some people are going to need to come to the care room to get healed from how I hurt you in the sermon. But it's good for you. Listen, I'm pushing that pride. Let's push that pride out of our lives. Let's get all those nasty little things out of there so that when God shows up, we're not trying to take his glory for ourselves. And so uh, an insecure person, this is what happens. If you've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are now a son. You are adopted son or daughter of heaven, of God Almighty. And you're like, God, I just can't, and I'm not good enough, and I don't have the car, and I don't have the, and I don't, I don't. And God's just like, it'd be like me looking at one of my kids who, who, one of my other kids can speak better, and this child thinks that she doesn't measure up because she's measuring herself to that person. She doesn't care what I think. She cares about what she thinks. And insecurity, why don't we just start calling it sin when we're insecure and say, God, I shouldn't be afraid right now. I shouldn't be anxious. It says, be anxious for nothing and everything by prayer and supplication. Bring your request to God. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Why don't we start calling insecurity sin and say, I shouldn't be insecure right now. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can go and talk to my neighbor. I can go and perform a work this week. I can make that deadline. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We've got some, um, some changes coming up. We talked to the team about this week particularly, and I see <laughs> our problems seem seem really, really big when we're sitting here. But what I want you to do today is I want you to swap places and take all that garbage that's on here, including yourself, and put God here. Because that's what a worship experience is, is we lift up the name of Jesus and we focus our attention on him. And as, we, as he gets bigger in our sight, our problems get much smaller and we ourselves get much smaller and we become the retainers of heaven and we say, okay, pour out what you want to pour out. Whatever happens this week, I'm going to go out in the power and strength and love of Jesus Christ. I can do it. And the more we lift up God, the smaller our problems become. 
And so we've got something that, that um, some changes coming up in Venue Church that, that I would love for you to be a part of. You know, I love Jesus. And I love church. I don't, I don't, I'm not in love with how we do everything. We tried, you know, doing one song less. I'm not in love with how many songs we do at church. I'm not in love with this kind of music or that kind of music. I'm in love with Jesus. I, I'm, I'm in love with doing church and bringing the gospel to unchurched people. I'm not in love that, you know, that we do a six o'clock evening time, although I love it. <laughs> I do kind of love that, but I'm not in love with it. There's a difference. I love the vibe. I love, the, I love that we baptize so many people because we reach unchurched people. I think that unchurched here's here's something I want you to consider is that that time might not be the best for us right now. I got some counsel because I'm a man under authority. I got some counsel from pastors that whose organization we're under. And uh, I got some counsel about that. And, and we need to consider right now maybe going to a morning service. We need to consider maybe going to a morning service because... <laughs> now, if you're a mom out there, you should be cheering because... There's this thing called Monday tax. Dear mom, you kept me up last night. You will pay. We've just noticed it's kind of hard to get families here. It's good for teenagers and it's good for millennials. But guys, there's, there's a 10.30 a.m. too. It's just something I want you to start considering and start asking questions about and start asking questions of yourself. Like, hey, could this work out? I wonder if we... But here's the thing, we don't do church for us. We do church to reach people. And church is for church people and unchurched people. And, and it's, you know, it might create a barrier there that maybe doesn't need to be there. And so if you have any questions about that, just call the venue phone or, or chat with us on, on our website. You can just hit a chat button there. But we're thinking we might need to make it more accessible to more of us. But I wonder, would you be willing to work it a little bit? Because I'm not in love with the time that we do it. I'm not in love with anything that we need to do. Look, there are families out there that I know Venue Church is for that it might just be easier to come to for them. Their kids could grow up in the gospel and be excited about going to church. They can bring their friends a little early. Sunday night's a bit of a tricky time. We loved it because availability of the theater was a huge thing. But, but we have a theater staff who want to work with us right now. Hey, we are getting $100,000 of new stage lighting by September. God's favor on Venue Church, but I just want you to consider that. But see, I can look at that, and the team can look at that. And I, I, I rolled it out to like the core team last night, and I'm like, well, what do you think? And I almost felt like they were like, well, pastor, if God wants us to do it, then God will enable us to do it. And we'll reach a lot more people for Jesus, too. And I'm, I feel like they're like, pastor, you need more faith. I like that. I do. That's right. But what is it in your life right now that God would shift if you weren't so proud and insecure about it? Because I could look at this and be like, yeah, but then somebody's going to say about, well, why do you do it Sunday evenings? Why do you talk everybody into doing it? Because that's when we did church, and that made sense to us, and that was the availability, and, and it worked. But maybe it's time to step out and to try something different. And maybe it's time for you to step out in your personal life right now and try something different. And try doing it in a different way in the power and strength of God. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person here that we would realize that you are a fierce God. And a fierce God is never insecure about himself. He knows exactly where he stands in the, in the face of the enemy. He knows exactly where he stands in the whole universe. And Father, I know that there is something more for every person listening to this and every person watching this online. There is so much more, Heavenly Father, that 
you want for every person here. And Father, I ask you right now to give us the courage to step out of our own little bubble of insecurity and pride and ask you to do something for us that we cannot do. And we ask you right now, Father, would you make us humble? Ask God, if you need to talk to somebody at the care corner and just ask God, like, I'm a proud person. Ask somebody to pray for you. God, would you make me humble? Here's the thing. You've been trying to make yourself humble. And God is like, I could do that for you because it takes a humble person to make a humble person. And you're proud and you're trying to make yourself humble and it doesn't work. I want to make you humble. I want to help you see the pride in your life. I want to get on the throne of your life so all the struggle can go away. I don't mean all the hardships go away, but the power struggle goes away. And Father, I pray a blessing on every person who's willing to ask that question. Ask that question of you. Come talk to somebody in the prayer room. Father, I pray a blessing on every person. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca slash give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.